Welcome to the Lobby Bar Podcast with your hosts, Roy Park and Jason Ginhart. All right. Welcome to the Lobby Bar Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Denise. I'm glad to be here. So we're joined today by Denise Evans from Staff Mark. She is the Director of Claims. She was in town for a trial and she decided to drop in. So thank you for coming by. I'm so excited to actually be at a trial in California and see how this system really works. Oh, it doesn't work. It's, <laughs> That's it's true. It's <laughs> broken in every way. Um, so Denise, as long as I've known you, you've been at Staff Mark. How long have you been working for them? It'll be 32 years in May. Wow. That's yeah. a long time. It is. I always say you got to be a little bit crazy to do workers' comp and even more a little bit crazy to do it in the staffing world. Yeah, it's a, it is a definitely a challenging space to do it in. Yeah, it's the beast of the industry. Yeah. So I'm assuming when you started 32 years ago, you weren't the director of claims. So how did that progression look with, as far as your development in your career? Actually, when I started, I started out at the front desk of our staffing corporate office. Oh, wow. So they didn't really have a position for me available at the time. Mm -hmm. So but they knew they wanted me. So I <laughs> moved straight into that position. I was there for about four months mm -hmm. until a position opened up in the payroll department. And the owner of the company, he decided, he's like, hey, I think you should go there. Moved over into that payroll, did that for about four months. Mm -hmm. And then the workers' compensation department was making some changes. Okay. We'd basically been a company where it was paper pushing it to the TPA. Right. A uh, person came in, decided that they wanted to look at self-insurance, taking it all over, needed staff, basically said, hey, do you want to do this on the side as well? Mm -hmm. So I did payroll and workers' comp for about a year. Okay. That was exciting. <laughs> Challenging. <laughs> And so how did you get your, um, I guess, so you just, you started in payroll and workers comp and then just continued to develop and grow in the workers comp space? Well, and it came down to, I was working a lot of hours. Mm -hmm. So again, the owner came to me and said, pick one, which yeah. one do you want? I mean, he was very involved in our industry back then. Um, so I picked workers compensation. I think when it gets in your blood, yeah. you either love it or hate it. Yeah. And I really loved it. Yeah. So I picked workers compensation and been doing it ever since. Yeah. Worked my way from, well, at that point I was probably just doing a lot of the learning with the TPA. Uh-huh. Uh, then we got the state came in, audited us and said, why are you all not doing this yourselves? Like, <laughs> you, just, you guys know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so we became self-administrate. Oh, okay. So that teaches you a lot. Yeah. So you actually had to like, man, uh, like adjust claims in house then. Correct. Okay. So we adjust the claims, pay it. Um, we also started doing our own hearings. Oh, wow. So in Ohio, you could attend the hearings, handle the hearings yourself, uh -huh. even not being an attorney. Oh, wow. Okay. So I learned a lot doing the hearings, I will tell you. <laughs> yeah. Those, when you're sitting across from somebody and you're telling them why you're denying their claim and they're looking at you telling you something else, uh -huh. you, you pick up on a few things of how to investigate a claim. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. So, I mean, that was a a pretty quick trajectory like it was was it a privately owned company when you first started yes okay and so then the owner was like involved and really kind of helped you develop and grow and i mean when did it um really start blowing up for you 
Yeah. So, I mean, we've, our company has always been very forward thinking Mm -hmm. when it comes to workers comp. Yeah. Always wanted to be involved from the start. And I think we help, you know, make that trajectory happen because very early on, I became involved, you know, in the workers' compensation system, understanding how the Bureau worked. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we just kept pushing, like, we can do this. We can be self-insured. We can be self-administrated. We can run the claims ourselves. We can save the company money by doing it this way. So from the start, I think, you know, we did it ourselves. Yeah. And we just had the support of of the executive team. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's I. It's refreshing to hear about um, companies that have like a good culture and that can kind of change with the times and grow and develop and help really develop their internal um, hires, you know, that, you know, help them get them there and just really are loyal to them. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're great because our executive team now is so supportive of the risk management department and workers comp Mm -hmm. because they understand, I mean, our industry is our people. Yeah. So we're very protective of our talent and we want to take care of them when they're injured. We want to treat them right. But we also have the other flip side that we are a transient workforce. Yeah. So they're very supportive of what we do Mm -hmm. and they make sure that we have the tools Mm -hmm. and the time and the things we need to manage our claims. That's awesome. Okay, so Denise, you know, we've been working together now for, gosh, how many years has it been? I'm going about 10. That's not right. It's a little less than 10, but it's it's up there. And one of the things that was refreshing for me when we started working together was your attitude about closures. Um, You know, we had some clients that really wanted to fight and we had like we would go to trial all the time and you know it, it was great for me when i was you know kind of sharpening my tools and, and and doing all of that but having a client that kind of looked at claims a little different and really just tried to push for early settlements you were kind of the first that i dealt with and so you know what was the philosophy behind that and how did you come to you know kind of value the early closures so I think we just started taking a look back at history of claims in California as well. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the history of claims in California, mm-hmm. the longer a claim stays open in California, the more money it's costing you. Yeah. Because they never, they just always continue to develop. Yeah. And you're constantly looking at what, how can I get this under control? Right. But the problem is, is when they're open that long, you've already lost yeah. control. Yeah. So we do a fully developed reserve every Uh quarter. Uh So our claims are being fully developed out by our auditors every single quarter. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at our closures. Mm -hmm. And that's when we sat back and said, you know, if they're developing that money out for the future, the quicker we get a claim close, the quicker our financial health is. Yeah. So when we sat back and looked at that, mm-hmm. I mean, California is always the one that stands out. Yeah. I mean, anytime I talk, it's always, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm going <laughs> to bash California just a little bit yeah. when it comes to workers' compensation. And the California claims, I mean, if you've got a claim open longer than a year, year and a half. Yeah, you're toast. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to pay a lot more at the end of that claim in that settlement yeah. than an earlier settlement. Right. Yeah, I mean, 
They definitely don't age like wine. Yeah. They, they, they get rancid pretty quick. Um, and it was, I mean, I can say just from our, you know, interactions on your files, like I would say, gosh, probably close to 50%, if not more settle within the first four to six months. And then, you know, obviously there's some, you know, catastrophic claims that you can't close that quickly. And then there's some claims that just, you know, they have a mind of their own, but closing down like 50% of your claims in the first four to six months, you know, that's a, I'm sure from an underwriting perspective, that's definitely probably a win for your program. hundred percent. I mean, it's huge. And I always tell the story and Roy always gets so mad at me <laughs> because the story is great. You know, when we sit down and we discussed, you know, my our company using Roy's firm, I explained how important settlements were. And the quicker the claim gets settled, I'm like, then I give you more claims because, you know, <laughs> you're settling those claims. And I'll never forget, one of the first claims Roy settled for me was within a two-week period. <laughs> now, he, again, gets mad and says, Denise, quit telling people that. I'm not always <laughs> going to be able to close a claim that quick. But it was that philosophy and understanding that we were serious about this. Yeah. We really want our claims to close because it's just beneficial to the company as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's funny is, um, like I have a, I have a, a good friend that's an applicant's attorney and I had asked him one time, so how many of your clients are like 100% full of shit? And he's like about, about half of them. And then I was like, okay. And then of the half that's left, how many of them are, um, you know, malingering or exaggerating their symptoms. It's like probably about a half of those. And so I was like, okay, so 50% of your clients are pretty much full of shit. 75% are at the very least malingering and exaggerating symptoms. And about 25% are actually legitimately injured. And he's like, yeah, I was like, that's probably a pretty accurate assessment for, you know, the claims that we get into, you know, probably half of them are complete BS. And so there's some people that look at a program like yours that says, you know, you're giving money away, right? But the reality is how many of those people are getting take nothings on 50% of their claims? Probably none of them, right? And so are you spending some money to make those things go away? Absolutely. But you're still probably spending less than those people that choose to fight every single quote unquote BS claim. I guarantee you the money we're spending is going to be used in litigation costs. Oh, yeah. Just litigation costs. Right. So you have to weigh what's your litigation going to be on that claim if you're going to continue to fight, fight, fight. Right. I mean, you always have to, there's always going to be the claims you're going to have the good fight. You want to have that fight. Right. But you've got to weigh that. Yeah. You have to sit back and you have to look at what makes sense. Right. And what is best for the company as a whole. Right. And sometimes we get a little passionate about certain claims. Sure. But you have to really take a step back and look at it objectively. Yeah. And I think a lot of adjusters sometimes have a hard time doing that. Yeah. And even employers. Actually, sure. sometimes the adjusters wanting it settled and the employer is <laughs> like, I know this guy isn't, you know, yeah. legit. And I always say there's a lot of good claimants out there oh, yeah. that are legitimately hurt. Right. The problem is, is they get caught up in the system. Yeah. So then all of a sudden they like staying home, they like getting their kids <laughs> off the bus. Right. They like being, you know, there. I used to always say watching Oprah and eating bonbons. Yeah. But 
the reality is you've got to keep them motivated yeah. and not let them get wrapped up in the system. Right. And how do you do that? Yeah. Or how do you just know when to say, let's just, you know, pause for a minute yeah. and maybe look at selling this. And I think like your return to work um, programs that you have with the nonprofits and things like I think the the advent of those programs have been a huge help in getting people back to work because it's like. Like you said, some before it used to just be like, okay, you have work restrictions. We can't accommodate them. So you're still TTD. Whereas now we go, okay, well, you can go to Goodwill and stand at the counter and, you know, do nothing. But basically you can't lay down at home all day watching TV. And it's a mindset. So if they're used to getting up every day, getting dressed, going to work, staying in that structure is important. Yeah. Because if they don't stay in that structure, that's when the mindset starts changing. Well, oh, I'm really hurt or I need to be home. Or, right. So it's, it's important. I mean, our people, our industry, so we look at it as keeping, we always try to get them back to maybe our client first right? or another client. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of times that's not feasible. Right. So the nonprofits actually give us an opportunity to keep their mindset in a return to work mode. Right. And I think that you'll find the claimants that really want to get better and want to return to work are the ones that's going to show up every day at your nonprofit. They're going to keep working toward physical therapy. And that goal is to get back into a, you know, permanent position with some employer that they can grow with. Right. So you kind of touched on something that I was going to address later, but it was like the the aspect of sometimes we take claims personally, you know, and attorneys are guilty of this too. You know, we get referred to file and we get all like, you know, pumped up about the defenses and how it's BS. And, you know, we, sometimes we, we, we can bite off more than we can chew, you know, but in those circumstances, um, what, what do you do or what can you do to make sure that you're not putting the cart before the horse, so to speak? Well, I think you have to step back. I mean, I've had a few of those personal claims. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm out here at trial with one. <laughs> but it's, it's very personal to me. I mean, it's one of those cases. It's a tough case. And, right. you know, we had to make a decision to fight the good fight on mm-hmm. this case. Right. And, you know, you just have to step back and look at, I think, more along the lines of what does the medical support? Mm-hmm. What can we look here and say, this is our reason to fight it? Right. Because we really believe Mm -hmm. that our doctor is 100% on point here. Right. And that their doctor may be, you know, milking it. And then, you you know, you have to also, I think, look at what are your other options that you can look at? Like surveillance. Mm -hmm. Or is there things that you can, you know, look at in that claim and honestly step back and say, okay, I need to just like pull back, not be so emotionally invested in this claim. Sure. And I'm going to start making some business sense. Yeah. And I, I think having a game plan is always really important for claims like that. Um, and a game plan for the wins and the game plan for the losses. You know, like sometimes you might get rung up at trial, but what's, what's the game plan even if that happens, you know? And you don't want to give away any tricks or secrets, but at the end of the day, like, you know, there's always something, whether that be a petition for recon or whether that be, you know, even a post FNA within five years stretch of surveillance to make sure this person really is quote unquote, a hundred percent, you know? And, um, 
I think having that game plan is really valuable. And, and that's where you have to step back and talk to your attorney mm-hmm. and look at the file and say, okay, what makes sense here? Right. Like, we're going to trial to fight this, but if we lose, what's our next step? Right. Because you can't just give up. You can't just say, oh, I lost. Right. So mm. I'm just going to, you know. Lick my wounds. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to roll over and start looking at another claim. Right. So you, you still have to control that. Yeah. I mean, you're on the hook for that until that claim is either resolved, yeah. settled, or the carrier takes over. Yeah. And then even when the carrier takes over, it's still your claim. Yeah. I so mean. you have to you have to have a game plan. I think with not just your carrier, but your attorney. Yeah. I think you have to have a game plan with um, you know, even nurse case management. Are they yeah. gonna stay involved? Are they gonna stay on the case? Right. So you just need to start thinking along the lines of what's your long term goal for that claim. Yeah. So like to that end, we you know, we we, we talked a lot about you know, the early settlements, but obviously there's some cases that, you know, you just can't settle quickly. And, and one of those class of cases is the catastrophic claims. And um, I feel like a lot of people struggle with those, you know, they, they get more catastrophic than necessary. So what are some things that you do as far as your programs that you implement to help um, mitigate those losses? So everybody at some point is going to deal with a catastrophic claim. If you're in workers' compensation, you're going to deal with a catastrophic. So years ago, I sat down and I'm like, you know what? Nine times out of 10, when that catastrophic claim comes in, you're the first line that's getting that claim Mm -hmm. because your branches, your offices, they call you. Mm -hmm. Hey, we had this happen. So you have to have your own game plan in place. Mm -hmm. Because you're a adjuster, it may be a Saturday, it may be a Sunday. Right. You may not have access to your TPA. Mm-hmm. So you have to have your own game plan. Mm-hmm. And as you should, you're the employee right. of record. Right. So for me, it was setting back and realizing, okay, so it happened. Mm-hmm. What, what are my steps? Where do I go next? Right. So I, I tell people, you can write it down. I have it in my head. I mean, I've done so many of these, like it's all in my head. Just right. do this, do this, do this. Yeah. But um, I think you've just got to sit down and write that down if you've never dealt with one. Right. And you know what? If you can't, then, then call somebody who's networking is so important in this industry. Yeah. So call somebody who's dealt with them before and say, uh-huh. hey, you know what? Can I just pick your brain for a minute on how you deal with your catastrophic? Yeah. And we'll be happy to guide you yeah. and help you through those. I mean, right. I, I've had friends call me up and say, hey, who do you use when this happens? And like, how do you handle these catastrophic claims? Yeah. So, you know, reach out. Yeah. And it seems like relationships in this industry are so important, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, you may not have had a catastrophic claim. And so you don't have these, you know, processes in place. But when you have the relationships with your, even your vendor partners, you know, like if you need a nurse to get out there to the emergency room on a Saturday, like, do you have a relationship with someone that you can call and say, Hey, can you get a nurse out there for me? You know? And kind of triage what's going on for us, you know? Um, and so it seems like relationships are really valuable. Relationships are the most valuable thing in this industry. Yeah. And I can't stress that enough because if you have a good relationship, whether it be your attorney, 
-hmm. whether it be your case management company, whether it be your bill review company, Mm -hmm. they're working for you and they want, they want to make it work. They want to impress you. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. I mean, I mentioned how, Hey Roy, settlements were my, (laughs) you know, my thing. Can you get them done for me? It's that, Hey, I want to do really well for staff Mark. And that's the most important thing. So, you know, it's the, Hey, can I have your cell phone? Because if I need a nurse case manager on a Sunday night at 11 o'clock, I want to be able to text you and you put a nurse on it. And I may Mm -hmm. have very minimal information. So like last night I had one and I'm, you know, I'm texting, (laughs) I'm in California and I'm texting my nurse case management in Illinois. I mean, that's the kind of relationship you have to have. So, you know, at 1am the nurse is emailing me information that I need. That's important. Um, Your attorneys, it's so important, especially with a catastrophic. Yeah. Because we all know when a catastrophic claim happens, you have to involve your legal right away. Yeah, It's going to be important to protect privileged yeah. information. Right. I mean, you're going to have information flying back and forth. Mm-hmm. You need that protection in place. Yeah. And if you haven't thought of that and don't have that in yeah. place from the very start, yeah. you know, you're putting yourself out there. Yeah. Even witness statements on a really big claim, it's really worthwhile to get legal involved so that your witness statements are privileged by virtue of your attorney taking it rather than, you know, an investigator whose report is discoverable. Right. And and you have a very small and limited window, mm-hmm. usually on catastrophic, yeah. to get all of the information that you need. Right. Because the minute that window closes, people forget things yeah. and you don't have access maybe to the site. Right. I mean, there is a lot of things that happen yeah. in a very short, quick amount of time. Yeah. So that's where your game plan comes into place. Yeah. And especially in the temp staffing space, it's even more important because you guys are dealing with a client's location. And sometimes the clients will hide the ball from you because they know they did something wrong and they don't want that to come out right away and ultimately our goal is to protect our clients right and to protect ourselves right so it's a it's a partnership right that has to come together and you have yeah. to sit down and work with your clients from the start yep. and and let them know you know i i'm here for you as well right you know i have a whole risk management team that can mm-hmm. benefit you as well as us i mean we work together with a lot of our clients risk management teams and mm-hmm. and legal and it's it's so important to establish those relationships right right in the very beginning as well yeah so you know, we're talking about relationships and the value that the relationships bring and how important they are. Um, I know that you're involved with a lot of different organizations in our space, you know, whether that be uh, the Dana Point Conference, OSIA, and, and, and different organizations, and a member of the board of many of them. Um, how important do you find that um, those, those memberships in those organizations and then also... Um, how did you come about to to get involved with those? So I got involved um, in SWOSHA, Southwestern Ohio yeah. Self-Insurers Association, and the Ohio Self-Insurers Association, uh-huh. um, right when we decided to go self-insured uh-huh. in Ohio. Uh-huh. I mean, it's important because those organizations allow you to stay up on the rules and the laws of the state. You're right. able to work with the different bureaus and departments in the state. Uh-huh. And, you know, Every year we always find there's something that we gain 
mm-hmm. from being involved. Yeah. Uh, we just went self-insured in Washington. Uh-huh. And the Washington, luckily I'm on National Council of Self-Insurers, yeah. and I was able to connect with the Washington Self-Insurers Group. Uh-huh. And they were able to help guide me through yeah. that process. Yeah. Um, Washington's not an easy process to go self-insured <laughs> in. It takes a lot. I mean, I was five years in the making on that one. Yeah. And, you know, it was helpful to have those people. Again, I mentioned always networking, having those people and being able to go to them and network and say, hey, what have you seen that's gone down successfully with this? Can I, you know, pick your brain about how, you know, this might be a problem for us? How can we maneuver around it and get the self-insurance? So it's it's important. And I think you you gain a lot of knowledge Mm -hmm. um, through the organizations that you belong to in the boards. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's that knowledge base that I want to gain. It's that networking. It's, it's, you know, it means a lot. And it also helps your organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of my clients, Mm -hmm. a lot of their risk managers are part of some of the organizations (laughs) I belong to. So again, it all comes back to how can it benefit your company as a whole? Right. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes people... um, especially like on our, and my side of the fence as a vendor in a partner, um, we get so caught up in the relationships that, um, quote unquote benefit us, right? Like, you know, whether that be TPA relationships, employer relationships, carrier relationships. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of synergy to be had even among vendors, you know, and it's not just, it's not just the co-marketing, you know, that, is synergistic. It's even just in understanding the service they provide and what they can do to help, you know, some cost containment, you know, efforts, um, implementing that into our strategies as, as legal or, you know, vice versa. And that is important because you have to sit down with your partners Mm -hmm. and you have to tell them your goals. Yeah. Because if you don't provide goals to them, they don't know what they really are needing to do for you. Right. So like your goals are like for legal, my goals are settlements. Right. I mean, we can close a claim, but yeah. a close claim isn't a completely gone claim. Yeah. It can reopen at any time, but right. a settled claim yeah. I, I know is settled. Right. So same thing with your nurse case management. Mm-hmm. I mean, the goal is I want this guy to be MMI. I want him mm-hmm. back to work. Right. Um, you know, set those goals. You're even from your bill review, you know, my goal is I want 20% more cost savings mm-hmm. this year than I had last year. Right. So if you set down and set your expectations right. with your partners, right. then they know how to help you. Right. And you know, every year we're trying so hard to find additional cost savings. Yeah. Um, inflation. I mean, yeah. we, we all know. I mean, what did they say this year in California? The medical cost was going to go up by, I think I read somewhere it could be up to 12%. Yeah, it's something absurd. Yeah. So that stuff is continually happening. So your average cost of your claims yeah. are continually going up. Right. So you have to do something right. to counterbalance that. Right. So conferences a lot of people ask me why are they so important yeah how are we going to know what programs are out there right and what partnerships we can build right if we're not putting ourselves out there yeah and we're not finding those you know partners that are going to give us an additional savings yeah even one to two percent on you know a 90 million dollar program right is is important yeah (laughs) that's a big that's a big chunk it's interesting because you know like just in my space, we're looking at opportunities to streamline processes, 
um, automate certain things. And I feel like, you know, <laughs> we're dealing with the workforce that doesn't want to come into the office. They want to work from home. Um, and, and I'm fine with it. Like I, I don't mind, but I think there's a delicate balance because if your job is easy enough where you can kind of float through it, do it from home, chances are that's going to get automated out soon, you know? And I think like people need to start looking at their positions as how do I add value, not how do I make my life easier? And I think that's something that's missing in our society right now. But in our space, you know, like you said, everyone's looking for the next way to get cost savings. And it's looking more and more like those cost savings are going to come from machines, not from humans, you know, and that's, I think that's unfortunate and scary, you know, but I think the humans are going to have to start stepping up and getting creative and figuring out why you still need me. And that's, you know, I think what's going to be interesting to see what happens with. So the fun part about that is when you think of claims, mm -hmm. because when I started in claims, how I learned and how I helped my own team and my own employees learn is by being there and discussing yeah. and having that. Yeah. So, you know, there is a concern going on with, I know a lot of jesters are staying home these days and working mm -hmm. from home, but I remember, you know, so how are we going to counterbalance that? Because they're not going to have that adjuster that's been there three years longer than them and might have ran across a case similar to the one they have. Right. You know, are they going to pick up the phone and call each other? Are they going to Teams? Are they going to, you know, Zoom? Right. And, you know, I, I'm, I know we have to adapt. Right. I know we have to be competitive mm -hmm. because to, to have the good adjusters, yeah. that might be one that wants to work from home. Mm -hmm. So how do we handle that? How mm -hmm. do we make that connection? Right. How are they connecting even with their own TPA and their own clients? Right. Um, I'm a firm believer in in-person claims meetings. Yeah. Um, even through COVID, I've been doing in-person <laughs> claims meetings. I know. <laughs> well, yes. And you know what? It, it opened my eyes to the fact that they need this just as much as we do. Yeah. Because I could tell like some of them were like, oh, I'm so glad to be out of my house. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad to be talking about my claims again in yeah. person. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to figure out that balance, whether it's, you know, maybe a little bit less office space. Yeah. But you have scheduled days that yeah. certain teams come in and treat it like, hey, you plug it's like in. A hybrid, and yeah. yeah, the hybrid situation. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to deal with that in the future. Yeah. And we're going to have to figure out what works best yeah. for our claims team yeah. and our TPA. Yeah. And we're going to have to work with them and say, okay, but here's still my expectations. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like we can do all of those things, but as the job gets more and more streamlined because there's there's just certain things that have to happen in the office right, right. and so when you work from home we're going to have to streamline a certain amount of tasks that would normally have to be done in the office and you're not going to have to do them anymore and then at a certain point we streamline those processes take them off your desk and then we start automating other processes and take them off your desk and pretty soon we're like oh man we don't need that many humans anymore, you know, like it just, it gets to that point. And so I think, I don't know why we're, we're going this route, but <laughs> I just, it's just <laughs> kind of, it's been on my mind. Like, I feel like the onus is really on the people that are, are really um, beating the work from home drum. It's like, sure, you can beat that drum, 
but make sure you're bringing value. Because if you're not bringing value and you're just saying, I'm going to just type on my computer at home and do a few things and I'll do what you ask me to do, but nothing more. I'm not going to be creative. I'm not going to do anything that AI couldn't replace. Like, I think you're in trouble, you know? Well, Claims has a human touch to it. And it always has to have that human touch. I mean, that employee you're reaching out to that's been injured, they want someone that understands, cares, listens. Yeah. So a machine can't do that. Yeah. That's not going to happen. And if you automate everything from the letters that go out, I mean, you want somebody to call and say, I'm your claims person. I'm your adjuster. I'm going to be handling your claim. I want to hear what happened. If you just send out a letter and say, call me, I mean, that that kind of stuff isn't going to work in our industry a hundred percent. Right. So you have to have that human side that's going to come involved. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's certain things that can be automated because I know, you know, like you said, AI, everybody's talking about it and can it Uh like look at the claims and determine this one's going to be more problematic than that one. I always say claims are like a fingerprint. Every single one of them are different. Different, yeah. Because they're people. Every person's different. And that machine or AI or artificial intelligence, they're not going to be able to read that. Yeah. That comes from the adjuster or the employer talking to that person, working with them. Yeah. And a lot of times some of our claimants run out the door and get attorneys just because they felt like no one cared. Yeah. They get sent back to work when they're still in pain, you know? Well, and they're looking at it and they're going, well, they didn't even ask me, am I okay? Yeah. You know, what, what, do they really care about me? <laughs> right. And I guarantee you, if you don't show you care, yeah. there's an attorney that's got a billboard <laughs> or an advertisement that's yeah. telling them that they care yeah. and they care by hitting their pocketbook. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to cry with them. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to make your claim just go longer because yeah. the, anytime an attorney gets on a claim, we all know right. that the tail of that claim now just like, yeah. Got extended. Exactly. It just depends on how hungry that attorney is to resolve it on their end. Right. Right. All right. Well, Denise, I really appreciate you coming in. You know, we kind of covered a lot of different topics. I appreciate the insight that you bring and your friendship and your business. All right. Thank you. Thanks, I'm Steve. Great for having me. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you.